Hi, listeners. Today's guest is Tony Robbins talking about how to master your life. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And so what we want to do is show you in your life, here's my definition of success. I used to have these definitions of success about, you know, you change the world and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? I was out there changing the world, but I wasn't feeling really great inside because I was burning out. And I was totally burning out inside. And so, boy, everybody loved me, and I was doing the difference, and, but inside just torn up. And what I realized is I was real big on helping other people to feel a lot of pleasure and little pain. Saw somebody in pain, I want to help them get out of pain. But I did so much of it, there was nothing left of me. So I'm walking around pain, making everybody else feel good. How many can relate to this someplace in your life or your business? I'm curious. So I have a new definition of success. My definition of success is real simple. If you're, if you're really successful, you experience tons of pleasure in your life, very little pain. I mean, some's inevitable, and sometimes we need it to motivate ourselves, I guess. And the way you live your life causes the people around you to experience tons of pleasure and very little pain. See, if you're doing that, you're really successful. And if you're not, I got a question. Was John Belushi successful? on the outside maybe. He was able to make other people feel really good. He wasn't able to make himself feel very good. That's why he's no longer here. Right? Marilyn Monroe, good example. And we can go through the list, right? All the people we can think of that seem to quote unquote have it all, but aren't here. And so what I found in my life, and what we're gonna talk about today, are really what I think are the five lessons of life mastery. Because there are only about a handful of issues that if you handle these issues in your life, everything works. And if you don't, you've got some major problems. I'll tell you what they are. Number one, number one of all that you've got to master, if you really want your life to work, is you must learn how to master your emotions. You must master your emotions, not be at the effect of them. And that does not mean manipulate them. That does not mean be in a position where you're not honest with yourself or with your feelings. Mastering your emotions means you're in charge, that you're getting what you really want out of your life. You're getting the emotions and feelings that you really want while you're here. Hey, why did you start your practice, doctors? What'd you do it for? You can give me all these intellectual reasons, but what you're going to find out is you start it because you wanted certain feelings. And those feelings you linked up, you could get if you help people in that way. And are you getting those feelings? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's other things getting in the way. See, most people have not learned how to master their emotions. Elvis Presley never learned to master his emotions. How many drugs was he taking simultaneously? He had all this acclaim and all these people that loved him, worshipped this gentleman, and yet he was a wreck inside. And we can name example after example after example. If you don't handle this, you can have all the success on the outside world at all. We can show you how to make your practice work. There is no doubt about it. How? We're going to teach you something called modeling. We're going to teach you people that have succeeded. We've taken people over and over again and help people's practices to grow from a third their size to doubling their size in 12 to 18 months. This is not some pipe dream. And as you see over the next two days, you'll see it's very specific and very real. And to take away your fear, doctors, does not require a ton more of your time or energy. Does not. It can be done. But you know what? If we do all that stuff, and you got all the success, but you don't have the emotional success, you say, oh, you know, get my practice like that. I'll, I'll handle the emotions. Wrong. It won't happen. You'll just come up with a new set of challenges. So we all deserve to feel the feelings we want most. So today we're going to work on some emotional mastery. And tomorrow and the next day we'll work on the business. And by the way, if you have more emotional mastery, do you think it'll affect the practice, yes or no?
Will it affect your ability to impact your patients, yes or no? You better believe it. Some people can be healed just by your presence. Some people just want to connect with you anyway. That's why they come to see you. I mean, think about it. They have all these aches and pains and things that are there, but really they just want somebody who cares to listen to to be there. We've all experienced that. Second major lesson that we've got to master is the one we're all in the business of, and that is physical mastery, mastering our physical body. So that what we're teaching here, what we want our practices to become, maybe it's not practices, but care centers where we're teaching people how to really be healthy, not just fixing them, not just getting them out of dis-ease, but literally teaching someone how to be proactive. And now, of course, the better you do that, the more you teach someone to think about their health, to value their health, to do things to support before there's a problem, also the bigger your practice is, the more value you add to people. If all you do is help people get out of dis-ease, then your practice is probably going to be limited. But if you can show people how to become oriented towards health and maintenance and support, you're helping people at a higher level and your practice will grow. And you'll have more enjoyment because you'll have more of a relationship with the people you know. But it also comes less, doctor, heal thyself. We've got to make sure that we really take care of our own physical bodies. And not only our physical bodies, but our energy level. Because a lot of us don't realize, but the way we think, the way we move, affects our health as much as anything else. The way we move can change the way we feel emotionally. We're going to show you how to do that. Third major lesson, we've got to master our relationships. We've got to master our relationships. We've got to get to the point where we realize that no person's an island, and if we know that intellectually, emotionally know that we can connect with anybody we want in a heartbeat. Even somebody who a moment ago was judging you, didn't like you, wasn't connected with you. And we're going to show you over the next couple sessions how to really connect with people at a nonverbal level. So when they first meet you, they don't know why, but they like you. How many of you have ever met somebody from across the room? First moment you saw them, you felt connected to them like you knew them, and you never met them before. How many have had that experience? What we've done, and what I do, is something called modeling. And modeling says this, that if anyone in the world produces a result, I don't care what that result is, some action is being taken mentally or physically to produce that. If you take the same kinds of actions, you'll produce the same kinds of results. And what we're going to do is study specifically how to duplicate some of the success of people around us who we respect, both on the business side, which is what we'll teach you over the numbers and how to put together your game plan, also on the emotional side. Can you think of somebody that you know of in your life who is, has every reason in the world to be upset with life? Maybe they got a bad deal. Maybe it's just some physical tragedy or malady. But somehow Sam seems to be incredibly happy in spite of it. How many know somebody like this? Ah. How many know somebody who has everything going for themselves, but has this tremendous resentment towards life or people and is frustrated and unhappy all the time? How many know somebody like that? So I guess the thing we might want to get out of this is real simple. That if we really want to succeed at the highest level, we've got to realize it's not what's going to happen in our life that's going to make us happy. It's who we become as people and how we connect with others. Our relationships in the end are going to make the difference. I don't know anybody who came to the end of their life and said, gosh, I didn't spend enough hours at the office. <laughs> but I know a lot of people say, I didn't connect with my children as strongly as I could. Or I was there at the office, but I didn't connect with people. That person was so nice, and I was just so into my own world and getting the job done that I didn't make that connection happen. Or, gosh, this woman or this man worked with me in my practice for 10 years and I really didn't know them. I did, but I didn't. I didn't take care of them the way I could have. See, there's one or two pains we all have in life. The pain of discipline, disciplining our mind, our emotions, and getting ourselves to follow through, or the pain of regret. Discipline weighs ounces. Regret weighs tons. So we want to show you how to bond and how to influence people in a very positive way in relationships. And, of course, to really understand other people's relationships, you've got to have a good relationship with yourself. We're going to work on that. Fourth area, got to master money. And money certainly isn't everything. But how many have noticed when it isn't around, you notice it a lot? <laughs> you know, I grew up in a very poor family. 
And a lot of what I'm committed to in my life came out of the pain that I saw in my own family financially and the emotional impact on that. You know, I remember um, my mom and dad arguing on a regular basis, I mean intensely, and I noticed most of the arguments were not about excess capital. <laughs> and I looked around at that, and I swore I wouldn't go through that. I'll never forget when I was, um, I guess somewhere in the age of 9, 10, 11, right in that range, probably 11, um, we had a Thanksgiving, we had no money and no food. And a family or a local organization coming and knocking on the door and bringing us this big box of food. And my dad not wanting to take it, but having to. And what that did to him inside. And what that did to me inside, seeing him have to go through that. And I swore that I would never do that. The money would never be a question in my life. I was never going to let some outside thing affect the relationships and the quality of my life. And I had committed also at that time that I would go out and I would take care of other people like we were taken care of. So sometimes out of a painful experience, good things have happened, because since I was 18 years old, every Thanksgiving, what I do on Thanksgiving is go out and feed people. And now because of my influence, thousands and thousands of people go out and do the same thing, all because somebody helped me out in a tough time. So pain isn't always bad. But the point is, money can have an impact. And, you know, I thought that was the solution, so I really worked really hard on it. And in a very short period of time, at a very young age, I was so committed because I didn't want the pain, that I went out and became quite successful financially. I was written up in newspapers and magazines. I was this entrepreneur. They called me Wonder Boy. My ego exploded. By the time I was 19, I was making $10,000 a month in personal income. And you know, all this great, quote unquote, success, because I figured success was purely money-oriented. And by the way, will money solve all your problems? I thought it would. Would it? No. But at least if you have enough money, you can arrive at your problems in style. <laughs> <laughs> Pull up in your limousine and handle your problem. It's a different world. Trust me, OK? <laughs> I'll land my helicopter at my problem. I like that, you know? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, I went out, I made all this money, right? And I was being real successful, and things were really going. But there's an interesting thing about human beings. We only get to keep what we think we deserve, financially, emotionally, relationships, anything. And inside every one of us, we have this little thermostat. It's unconscious, it's not conscious, but it's like a thermostat on the wall. If I set that thermostat on the wall at 78 degrees, and all of a sudden the temperature drops in here, gets down to maybe 72. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? That's right, heaters are going to kick on, right? Because the brain goes and the computer says, hey, this is not good enough. This is not where I belong. My relationship needs to be more close than this. We're not close enough right now. It's not where it belongs. Or my income is not where it needs to be. This is painful. I've got to do something to change it. Or, you know, I'm not as connected with my kids where I need it to be. We have this idea where things need to be. And when it's not there, boy, the heaters kick on and we get the drive to change things, don't we? And so we do that. But what most people don't realize is that because we have this idea that we're at 78 degrees, when things start really doing well, the same thing happens. What happens if this room's set at 78 degrees and it starts cooking in here? We start really cranking, making things happen. We get up to 82, 83 degrees. What happens? The heaters stop and you lose your drop. And then the air conditioners kick on to bring you right back down to where you think you deserve to be. And you usually sabotage your own success. How many of you here have ever sabotaged your own success? Let me see a show of hands. Interesting. Me too. And I did it on a major scale. Because anything I do, I do it like full out, including failure. It was great. <laughs> I just went out there and I decided, okay, how can I screw up royally? I didn't do it consciously, I did it unconsciously. I started not showing up for key meetings. I started treating people harshly that didn't deserve to be treated harshly. It wasn't about them at all. You know, I never do, took drugs or alcohol because I always valued my body. But, you know, I ate food. I used food like it was a drug. I gained 38 pounds in two and a half months. That is not easy to do. You have to eat tons of food and not move very much to pull that off. <laughs> I managed to do that, right? I got to the point where I lost everything financially, lost my home, moved into a little 400 square foot bachelor apartment in Venice, California, in a place you would not want to live. 
No kitchen, washing my dishes in the bathtub. Waking up each morning feeling sorry for myself with two major goals. What am I going to eat today? And what's going to happen to Luke and Laura on a program called General Hospital? <laughs> <laughs> the same thing I used to thrash other people about watching, right? I'm in there, what's going to happen today, right? I mean, my goals have changed, as you can guess, right? And the reason I'm here is because I had a friend who came and saw me, who I had not seen for a long time. And the reason he came to see me, one reason, is because he couldn't call me on the phone, because my phone was disconnected. Bangs on the door. I got a nice big pot belly, a beard growing, I'll shave, my hair is growing out and stuff, you know, and I open the door, going, yeah. <laughs> he looks at me, he goes, Tony? And I realized who it was, I went, oh, hi. <laughs> He said, well, can I come in? I said, do you really want to? He said, yeah. So I opened the door, you know, and my room is not much bigger than this stage. He looks around the room, right? He says, Tony, where do I sit? I said, well, just scoop those Cheetos out of the cushions on the couch there and have a seat there, right? He sits down and he says, what happened to you? What happened to Wonder Boy? I said, he died. My new nickname is just Boy. <laughs> I said, you know, I, you know, I tried all that stuff that we talked about, all that personal development stuff, you know, I read all those books and everything else, but it doesn't work. He said, come on, what do you mean, Tony, it works? You've always made it work. What, what's the deal? I said, no, it doesn't. I tried it all. I read 700 books in the year of human development. I went to all these seminars. I tried it all. This is the rewards I got, so I'm not trying anymore. I was real intense. I was jaded. So he said, oh, come on, Tony, what have you done recently? What have you really used? I said, I tried goals last Thursday. They didn't work. He said, come on. It takes more than that. He said, you know, it's ironic. I was coming to see you because I wanted to share something with you that could change your whole life. He said, I figured I'd share it with you because you'd share it with other people. But everything in life happens for a reason. It's obvious I'm here because you need this for you. He was one of those soft communicators. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what are you talking about? And he started telling me about this technology, some of which I'm going to be sharing with you this weekend, about how to condition the way your nervous system causes you to respond to people and things. Literally how to change your behavior, a technology unlike anything else I'd ever heard of. But as he told me, I was so jaded, right? I was like... I was really on staying where I was. So I said, you know, I've heard all the seminars. I've been to all the seminars. I said, come on. I said, tell me. This is just like all the other seminars, right? I said, there's only three kinds of seminars in the world. I tell me, is it one of these three? Is it number one, positive thinking? Is it? And he said, no. I said, good, because I got too many problems for positive thinking. <laughs> it's hard to think positive when you got an elephant sitting on your face. And I got that many problems. He said, it's not positive thinking. I said, oh, great. Then it's probably one of those seminars where they teach you how to become totally centered. You know the type, don't you? where they teach you how to smile real big while hell is breaking loose around you. <laughs> they teach you, you know, how when people ask you, how's it going, you're supposed to say, unbelievable. Because, see, that covers both ends of the spectrum, right? <laughs> or they teach you how to, like, sit in a chair and, and cross your legs and breathe in certain ways. And I said, I did that. And I mean, totally centered while they came and removed my furniture. <laughs> I said, but I don't want to be centered anymore. He said, well, it's not about being centered. I said, oh, great, there's one other kind of seminar left. You all know the type, don't you? The kind that started in California. The type where they put you in a room and said, you want to know why you're really not succeeding? You get to the edge, you're about to break through, and then you fall back. You want to know why? Because deep down inside of you, you have these unspoken upsets. That's right. These things that have happened with other people where they've told you things or done things with you you're angry about, but you didn't tell them. You kept it inside, and now your brain's angry at you. <laughs> And the only way you're to heal this is you're supposed to go up to those people and tell them how you really feel. You're supposed to run up to them and say, I ate your guts! <laughs> and this is supposed to make you feel very good. I don't know about your poor friend here, but it's supposed to make you feel very good, right? 
Or they put you in a room and they tape up the doors, right, and call you four-letter words and not let you urinate for several days. <laughs> I said, I tried that. I'm not making fun of it. I went through it. It was real valuable. My life still wasn't working. He said, Tony, no, this is really different. I said, how do you know? He said, well, he said, because they let you urinate in these seminars. <laughs> I said, good. That's moving in the right direction, at least, right? I said, he said, come on, come to a free guest event tonight. I said, look, I've been to every guest event there is. Forget it. He said, no, really, Tony. He said, I really want you to do this. It's really unique. He said, why not? I said, because I'm busy. <laughs> he said, oh, really? What are you doing tonight? Watching Dynasty. <laughs> now, that really hurt. Because <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> so I went down a seminar. I got exposed to this initial technology on how to condition my mind how to change literally the way my mind processed what I saw, heard, and felt in the world. Change my experience, how I feel, and how I behave. And I was jaded about it, but that night I watched them produce results with people like I'd never seen before. Take people, take a phobia away from somebody in less than an hour. And somebody who'd been in therapy for five years at the time. And I got excited and I said, I really want to master this. I want to do whatever it takes to take this information and take it to the general population, because everybody in the room was psychologists, psychiatrists, marriage and family counselors. And I said, boy, they're making this so complex. Plus, I had this interesting benefit. I wasn't educated because I hadn't been told what I couldn't do. And when these instructors said, hey, you can go out and do this in 10 minutes, I believed them and I'd go out and do it. I got on national television, national radio starting in Canada. And I launched my career by challenging psychiatrists and psychologists. That wasn't my intent. What I did is I got up and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what it is you want in your life, there's one thing that stops you. Fear. Fear of failure. Fear of success. Fear of rejection. Fear of pain. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what people say? How many of you have any of these fears? I'm curious. Well, good, we have humans in the room. Excellent. I said, I don't care what your fear is. See me, I'll have it one hour. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you've been in therapy for years. I don't care if you've got uncontrollable phobia. See me, I am the one-stop therapist. <laughs> well, when you make those kind of claims on the radio, you can imagine what happens, right? People go out and go, can you do this, can you do this, can you do this? I'm going, yes, 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 yes. Then the psychiatrist calls me in. Now, up until this point, I thought all psychiatrists were totally open, flexible human beings. And 99.9% .9 of them are, but a few aren't, just like any profession. And I got one that wasn't very open. And he started attacking me viciously on the radio. Started saying, who do you think you are, young man? You are a charlatan. You are a liar. Sir, like people like you should not be allowed on the radio. Now, what do you do when somebody attacks you personally? What do you do? I don't know. <laughs> but when you don't know what to do, always do this. Ask the person a question. Because when you ask somebody a question in order to answer it, they have to focus on your question, which changes what they're thinking about. Plus, it gives you time to think. Right. Right. So I said to this man, I said, sir, um, let me ask you a question. Which, by the way, is a good thing to say while you're thinking of the question you're going to ask. <laughs> I said, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, are you a scientist? He said, of course, I'm a physician. I said, great, because I know a scientist would never assume anything. He said, what are you saying? I said, sir, I hear you making a hypothesis. Your hypothesis is I'm a charlatan and a liar. I said, but isn't it true that after stating a hypothesis, if you're truly a scientist, you have to be willing to test that hypothesis? He said, well, yeah. I said, great. I suggest you come and prove I'm a charlatan. I suggest the best way to do it is I'm doing a free guest event for the general population tomorrow night, general public. Holiday Inn, free, no charge. I suggest you come, prove I'm a charlatan. I suggest the best way to do that is to bring one of your patients. I said, bring somebody you've never been able to cure. I said, I'm sure you have plenty of those. <laughs> I said, well, we all have patients that aren't ready to change yet. I said, that's funny. I haven't found any. Of course, I've only done three therapies, but hey. <laughs> I knew what was possible, right? 
So sure enough, right, he starts telling me, I mean, he said, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Who do you think you are ordering me around? I said, I'm not ordering you around, sir. I'm giving you an opportunity to test your hypothesis. He said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I said, sir, if you're not willing to test it, please retract your statement. I said, let's be scientific. He said, well, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Don't play games with me. Don't play verbal games with me. I said, sir, I said, all I'm trying to do is be fair. I don't mind you being skeptical, but give me a chance. Why don't you just take a look? So well, I'm not going to do that. I said, sir, then would you at least tell me your name? I'm curious. He said, no. I said, sir, and I'm thinking, if I want to change this man's behavior, I gave you the key to changing any of his behavior in the first 10 minutes of my speaking. I said, everything we do, we do to avoid what? Pain or to get what? I thought, well, there's not much pleasure I can give him. Maybe I can give him some pain. So I said to him, I said, sir, um, I'm sure you must realize this is a very popular radio show. I'm sure you must realize a lot of your patients probably listen to this show and recognize your voice now and now know your level of personal integrity. <laughs> he goes, oh, you're really trying to put me in a corner, aren't you? I said, I'm trying to. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm not trying to be harsh. If I sound harsh, it's probably because I feel hurt because you're attacking me. You don't even know who I am. I said, I'm just asking for a fair shake. I have no problem with you doing it. But, you know, put yourself on the line. I'm putting myself on the line. He goes, well, I can't make my patients do this. I said, come on, don't you have a patient who'd be willing to try something new? He said, well, I do have this one woman. She'd be willing to try almost anything. I thought, obviously, she works with you. But I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> Bottom line is, I said, what's her problem? He said, she said she has a snake phobia. I said, well, how does it manifest? He said, well, what she does is she goes to sleep at night. She has this dream of a snake coming and biting her on the face. And it's so real that what it does is shoots drilling through her body and she wakes up. I said, well, how would you do that? How would you turn that around? Or better yet, how long have you been working with it? He said, oh, about seven years. I said, wow, that's pretty exciting. I said, um, well, uh, why don't you bring her down? That should take me, oh, 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> guy goes crazy, right? Bottom line is the guy hangs up on the phone. The radio guy says, we'll see you tomorrow night at the Holiday Inn. So we arrive at the Holiday Inn. We're expecting about 200, 250 people. That's how many people show up. Over 500 to see the shootout at OK Corral. <laughs> I get there. How many of you have ever been as in a situation where when you talk to somebody on the phone, let's say calling in, how many of you do what I do? When you hear somebody's voice on the phone for the first time, instantly you make a picture of what they look like. How many of you have ever done this? Right, so what kind of picture would you attach to a voice like this? OK, I'll be there. How big a person would you imagine, right? I picture this huge person. I don't know his name. I'm standing up front looking for a huge man with a scared woman on his arm. <laughs> Nobody fits this criteria, right? <laughs> so finally, it's time to start. I look at my watch. I get up here. I introduce myself as good. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anthony Robbins. As soon as I say my name, the side door over here bursts open. This guy about this tall walks in. And this woman walks in with him. He doesn't wait for the break. I'm talking. He walks right in here, stands right in front of me. So I turn to the audience and say, uh, it looks like I have a visitor. <laughs> I said, would you excuse me a minute? I went down to shake the guy's hand. He wouldn't shake my hand. He just goes, here's the woman. <laughs> OK. So I help the lady up on stage. I get her a little chair. Can I borrow that chair there? Yes, yeah, so I get her this little chair, you know, and set her down. And said, why don't you just relax right here, which is, by the way, not easy to do when you've got 500 people staring at you. Right? So I said, let me start fresh. My name is Tony Robbins. I'm here today to share with you a technology and how to change the way you feel and the way you think that is so powerful and so quick, it's unlike anything you've ever done. It'll literally show you how to condition your mind to make changes that maybe you thought took years, we can do in minutes. And that's a big claim. So rather than me, for example, like just tell you about it, let me do a quick demonstration. This is the woman in question. I said, this woman has had a phobia she's been treated for now for almost seven years by that psychiatrist right there. 
I'm going to attempt to wipe it out in about 10 to 15 minutes. I have no guarantee it'll work, but 90% chance we can do it within an hour for sure. So if we want to go for it, we can pull it off. So I turned to this woman. I said, ma'am, I understand you have certain kinds of feelings about certain kinds of animals. For example, how do you feel about snakes? And she goes, <laughs> now, if you've ever seen a phobic, you know I'm not exaggerating. We're talking about physically out of control, right? Stimulus response, right? And people in front row going, oh, my God. And I hear this other guy in the front row going, I bet he didn't know she was that bad. And in my head, I'm going, I didn't know she was that bad. Right? My heart's beating out of me. I'm shaking this woman, trying to get her to calm down. My heart's beating out of me. I mean, this is my first public demonstration, right? I finally get her to calm down, right? And then what I do is I proceed over the next 10 or 15 minutes to do what we're going to teach you to do over the next nine months, which is absolutely, totally to condition your mind and body to respond exactly as you want to anything. So that if right now you're addicted to chocolate and you don't want to be, you can change that. Some of you go, no, don't change that, please. No. Right? So that if you want to change anything in your life, you can change any behavior you want by changing the conditioning of what it means. And that's what I did with this woman. And after I'm done, I go to test it. How do I test it? I said, ma'am, how do you feel about snakes? She doesn't move. She just looks at me and says, you don't have to yell. People are like, wow. Psychiatrist in the back's going. <laughs> so I like to have fun, as you may have picked up. And I'm kind of outrageous at times. So I said, ma'am, why don't you just relax for a second? You're doing pretty well. Let's just test you out here. I'll be right back. And I walk back in here, and I reach under here and get a little knapsack. And I reach down the knapsack. I walk in behind her, and I go, ma'am, how do you feel about whoo? I stick the snake in front of her. And she did jump back. So would you. <laughs> but after about two, maybe 20, 30 seconds, somewhere in that place, sure enough, she relaxes. I got the snake wiggling around in front of her. Bear in mind, before she even thought of a snake, physically out of control, shaking like crazy, drooling the whole nine yards. No exaggeration. We're talking a full phobic response. So now she's there. and She's calm, but not quite calm. I said, listen, think what it would be like to hold it. She, she goes, <laughs> starts to get her afraid again. I said, listen, you couldn't even think of a snake before. Now there's one in front of you and you're calm. Think it'd be like to hold it. She's like, I don't know. The audience starts going, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. <laughs> she goes, all right, right. I start to hand her this thing. She takes, she takes it and she squeezes. I said, don't kill it. <laughs> right? And that day started a new career for me because it not only taught everybody else what was possible, it taught me. I didn't know. And you won't know what you're capable of until you put yourself on the line. I didn't know if I could really do that. But you know what? I had to. I used that strategy throughout my career to put myself on the line and do things. I worked in the United States Army, took on programs, for example, and cut them by two-thirds. Took the world's best pistol shooters in the entire U.S. Army and got them to do better in a short period of time. Four days, better than they had ever. So I've done those things over and over and over again. And by the way, that day, some people thought it was a setup, right? So they attacked me and said, can you do this, can you do this? And I went, yes, 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 yes. I don't know if I could do it. But if there's one thing that we can instill in each other as a value to operate from our belief is that we can't fail. We cannot fail. Because whatever we do, if the minute we do it, we catch what we're doing, if it doesn't work, we just need to do something else. If that doesn't work, we need to do something else. When we call it failure, we become immobilized. Now all of a sudden, we can't help the patient, we can't help ourselves, we can't help our business. See, for me to fail, the game would have to be over. And the game's a long game. So I'm not worried about it. If something doesn't work, I just immediately say, okay, what do I need to do to make it work? The more time you store failure in your body, the less time you have to help somebody or help yourself. And so I just keep changing the approach. And so I took on some things. I took on a man who had been stuttering for over 30 years. End of an hour, no more stuttering. I took on a woman who hadn't had an orgasm in 10 years. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> orgasm right there. <laughs> no, I did not touch her. <laughs> 
I simply change what she conditioned to that idea. You go, are you going to teach us that here? Whoa. Now I have your interest, don't I? So I was talking about the five lessons of life. I guess I should give you the fifth one, which is you must master time. You must master time. And mastering time doesn't mean you're on time. Mastering time means you enjoy, you maximize what you get out of every minute. See, if you're mastering time, that means you're so immersed that time wouldn't matter to you. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to be on time. I'm just saying some people are so conscious of time that what happens is everything moves very slowly for them. See, have you ever been in a situation where you're loving what you're doing so much you completely lost track of time? How many have been in that experience? Yeah. What if work could become like that for it? And for some of you, hopefully it already is. But what if it could really be like that where you loved it so much that, boy, at the end of the day, it's like the day just screamed by. And you felt fulfilled and you felt excited. And time was not your enemy. Time was your friend. We're going to talk about how to make that happen. And it's not an easy thing. It's a discipline in our heads. But there are ways to expand beyond the limits we used to have in those particular